Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, howdy. Howdy. That was awesome. Thank you so much, team, leading us in worship. That was so great. Hey, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 this morning, so you can be flipping there. My name is Kevin Barra. I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus, and so glad to be here on the tail end of a win. That's what I'm talking about. Come on, come on. You, you, you got to celebrate that. Huge win this weekend over New Mexico State, or New Mexico something, State, I don't know what they were. Doesn't matter, they, we won, so... Uh, if you have a Bible, though, we'll be in uh, Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. So flip over there, and I'm going to read a bit of it for us, and then we will jump in. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12, it says this. Not that I've already attained it, or I've become perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've already made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Only let us hold true to that what we have obtained. Brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've said, I told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. Let me pray for us one more time. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that as we, as we look at this moment in, in the letter of Philippians, that you would help us to see what you're calling us to. The, the goal of the Christian life is, is not ease, but it is a a a unified strain towards the right things. It's a push towards the right things. So I pray that as we look at this text, you would open up our minds and hearts to see where we might prioritize and direct our time. And I lift this up in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, when I was in high school, um, my freshman year of high school, I finally made the team I always wanted to make. And that was the basketball team. Now, in seventh grade, I was cut from the basketball team. In eighth grade, I was cut from the basketball team, and I spent my time in City League sports, uh, roughing it up there. And it came to my freshman year of high school, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go out one more time. I hope to make the team. And I was, you know, a a huge 5'6", about 118, right? So just prime basketball shape, right? So I I didn't know why coaches were overlooking me, Uh, but I was a point guard. And so I could dribble and pass and shoot. Okay. And so I went out for the team. I had done well uh, running cross country and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go out for the team. And lo and behold, I made it. And I was like, look at me dominating high school. This is perfect. Right? So I made the basketball team, but not only that, I was still running cross country. 
And then I was also playing club soccer at the time. And then I went out for the uh, high school soccer team and I made the JV soccer team. And if you've seen basketball, soccer, and running, they, the sports all collide just like this. And not only that, um, I went out for the track team later on. And so I was going through club soccer, uh, high school basketball, high school soccer, and track and field all at the same time. So I would get to the school at like 6 a.m. and leave like at 10 that night after going through all the practices. I would literally go through my practice and then go do a track practice or whatever soccer practice, whatever else I had to do to do everything. And, and I got through that that year, exhausted, just totally overwhelmed by everything that I'd committed to. They were all good things. Like none of those things were bad. I just got through all of them completely overwhelmed. And, and the worst part about it was that I was sitting the bench in basketball. So I'd go to every game and I would sit on the side and cheer on the guys. And I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm spending all this time and I'm not really getting what I most hoped out of this time. Now, the reason I tell you that is because that's probably not an unfamiliar story to you. It's probably not high school related. It's probably college related, right? So you got here as a freshman and you're like, here are the organizations you can be a part of. (gasps) Boom, 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 right? The list of all 4,000 organizations plus that you can be a part of. And you're thinking, I'm not going to be a two percenter. I'm going to be an Aggie that gets involved in everything, right? And so you're like, what, what are you selling? I'm going to be a part of it, right? Are you about justice? Are you about Christians? Are you about leading? I'm going to do all of it. Are you doing a Bible study? I'll do that one too. You're doing breakaway? Okay, I'll be a volunteer there. Are you going to go this, this, this? And you basically pile your schedule. And then they say, these are our meetings. And you're like, okay, that's six on Monday night. I can make those 30-minute intervals. That's perfect. There's 25 meetings on Tuesday. Got it, got it. Okay, there's my own Bible study and hang out with my roommates and all sort of stuff. That's Wednesday. Thursday, I'll, I got to tack in a little bit of study time in there, right? Is, is that the other part of school? Okay. And, and you go through your week and you stack it so full and you're like, why do I feel so exhausted? And the reason is because of this. We have a tendency to overcommit. We do. We have a tendency to see all the things that could be and all the things that are good in our lives. And we, we commit ourselves to way too many things. And, and with all of the great things Texas A&M University brings, the only negative that I see is this, a tendency to overcommit to leadership organizations, to Christian organizations, to all types of great organizations that just split your time so tight. Am I wrong? No. Yeah, you're like, Kevin. You're preaching to the choir. I know what you're saying. I just need solutions at this point. Yeah, well, that's where Paul will speak into us, speak to us very clearly. And here's the phrase I want to give you. The greatest impact you can make in your life comes not from everything you can do, but in choosing the one thing that will make the biggest impact. This morning, we're going to talk about the one thing. The one thing that your life should be about and my life should be about and all the other things, they may be good things, but if they overtake the one thing that's most important, you will live a very tired, exhausted life. And Paul says, there's one thing I do. If there's lots of things I need to do, I I basically focus in on this one thing. And this one thing is more important than everything else. And if I prioritize the one thing, then the rest of my life makes sense. It won't always be easy, but it will make sense. Last week, just to get us up to speed, um, we talked about Paul's, um, in, in talking to the Philippians, he basically says this, there's two ways you can live life. 
You can live your life trying to earn the favor of God, or you can live your life as having received acceptance, forgiveness from God. And so that's the starting point. You can live your life trying to earn from God, or you can live your life knowing that you have received grace and forgiveness from God. And it is out of that that soil, that fertile soil, of knowing that you are loved and cared for that Paul then calls us to work, to put our faith into action. And there's three things he gives us in order to, to live our life well, to focus on the one thing that matters most. He says this, there's gonna be strain, number one. Number two, you need to have focus. And number three, you need to have the right models. And in this section, we're gonna see those three things play out. There's going to be a strain There's going to be a focus where he wants to direct our eyes. And thirdly, there are models that we've got to put in our life so that we can focus our life on the one thing. But before we talk about all the things we need to do, I want to set this standard. Salvation comes in a moment. When you put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that is a one-time deal that's absolutely done. And you don't have to worry about it. You can't earn God's favor. But sanctification, and that's what we're going to talk about today, sanctification is a process. It means you become day by day more and more like Christ in your life. That's a process. And that process is a, is a work that combines our effort and God's work. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, he says this, um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and in, in, fear and trembling, meaning work out the things that have been worked in you. And do this because God is at work in you. God is at work in your heart, but we also have to put effort into our Christian faith. And the first thing he says is this, verse 13, the strain. Not that I've already obtained it or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What's his point? His point is this, anything worth doing is going to be difficult. Anything worth doing in life is going to be difficult. This is the strain of the Christian life. Another way to say it is, is, is like this, that there is a press on the Christian life, that you have to press yourself. And you've already experienced this in college, right? You graduated high school and you came to this university and your thought was, I finally made it, Right? And even your senior year, before you were getting ready to come to college, you're like, I don't care about calculus. I don't care about these losers around me. Like, I'm just ready for that college degree and that next step. And that's all of your focus. And then you get here. And then they give you books, right, to read. And then they give you a syllabus to study. And they're like, I'm so glad you're here. This is going to be so much harder than high school. And there's one or two classes you're like, oh, those are easy. And then you got into engineering and you're like, oh my Lord. I couldn't think anything could be this hard. And the strain is there. For some of you, it's, it's more working out that's going to get you because school is easy for you. You float along and you're just brilliant. Congratulations. But for others of you, um, it, it's, it's weights, right? And, and you know that you want to get your body back into shape, right? Because you put on the freshman 85 and you're like, okay, I want to, I want to trim it back down a little bit. You know, freshman 65 is what I'm going to go for. And, 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 and so you want to get into weights. And so they, you talk to a nice person. They're probably like an all black and they're so sweet. And they're just like, why don't you come over here to this, to this weight set, you know, like this, this pain set that's been put together for you. And, and, and we want you to start 
pulling these bands and kicking your legs out and doing donkey things. And we're going to do all these things. And you're like, the next day you get up and you're like, why does everything hurt everywhere? I don't think working out for, is for me. Yeah, it, it feels that way because there's a strain. There's a press and all of life is this way. Anything worth doing is difficult. And the same is true in the Christian life. And what Paul is saying is, look, not that I already obtained it. And what is he referring to? What has he not already obtained? Well, just before in verse eight, you see that his great desire is to know Christ. Verse eight again, he says, I want to gain Christ. In verse 10, he says, I want to experience the power of Christ's resurrection. I want to experience resurrection life today. How do I get it? He says this, I press on. The word press basically means this, to move quickly and energetically toward some objective, to hasten, to run, to press forward. It's, it's athletic imagery. It's describing a race. It's describing a runner who's, who's running hard and continuing to press forward. And Paul loves using athletic imagery. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 9, he uses similar language to describe this. And he says this, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. What he says is this, the Christian life requires discipline, a press, a strain. It means I discipline myself. I am, I am saved freely by the grace of Jesus Christ. But once I'm in, that means I start getting to work. So I, the first time I really saw this play out was actually when I was in high school. My freshman year of high school, I went out for the cross country team and, and my coach was talking to me. And she's like, okay, you can make varsity, but I need you to work. And I'm like, okay, varsity, right? It's like a freshman in high school. That was the coolest thing ever. And, and so she, she literally tells me, okay, here's what you've got to do. Every afternoon, you've got to run further. Every morning, I need you to get up and run. And I get out to the races and she's like, okay, focus in, run your race, run hard. I remember the first race I ever ran, I ran behind a guy named Vaughn Anderson and he was a senior. And he says, freshman, sit him beside me. And I'm like, okay, Vaughn. You know, like seniors were just the coolest thing ever. And, and I get behind him and I'm just steadily behind Vaughn the whole way. And there's a one point in the race when she says, okay, I need you to run your race. Go. And see, so I took, a walk, took off, left Vaughn behind and kept running. And then she got me after the, after, after the race. She said, look, you're pretty good. But if you want to go to the next level, you've got to work even harder. You've got to work harder at this if you want to take the next step. And, and I saw that. And I'm like, okay, I want to succeed in this avenue. I've got to put some effort into it. I remember the first time I preached, there was a nice man. His name, uh, he still goes to church here. He's such a good guy. Uh, he, he pulled me in aside. He took me out to the kettle, right? And uh, like, total old man move. And it was so good. So we're sitting there at the kettle drinking coffee and, and he sits in front of me and I, and I, and I'm just like young and ambitious. And he's like, he's like, okay, I want to talk to you about your teaching. 
And I'm like, perfect. I want to know how to get better and do this. And he goes, here's the deal. You use some canned illustrations. You need to cut that out. I'm like, okay, you know. He's like, okay, and, and I need you to study the Bible more deeply. I'm like, okay. And he goes, and I need you to work on your craft of delivery. Mm. And he goes, here's the books you need to read. <laughs> and I was so thankful that this man stepped in and said, here's what you've got to put into your life to get better at this. See, some of us feel like, and I talked to someone recently, like to get on stage and to speak, it's just that the people up there just know it, or it's just this natural ability. It's just this natural thing that they have. And I'll tell you what, that is an utter lie. (laughs) No one who stands on stage knows anything when they start. Everyone stinks when they start. It's through work that you get better. The same is true in leading a Bible study. Remember the first time I started leading Christian Bible studies, I was horrible. I, I never led a non-Christian Bible study, but whatever. I got, first time I started leading Bible studies, and I was so bad. I remember the week one, I'm leading sixth grade guys. I volunteered, just put me anywhere. They stuck me with sixth grade boys. And I remember going to, to that thing, going through the little lesson, and they had a, a, a bowl of Skittles for them to like pass around and pick a color and share some attribute about themselves. And so I... I I see the, the, the bowl and they go insane. Like, I don't know if you put candy in front of sixth graders, but they lose all internal self-control and they're freaking out about it. And so I put it up high and I go through the rest of the lesson and, and I go to talk to one kid at the tail end of it. And those kids are climbing on top of each other, on top of the deal. And I'm like, I'm like, who are these insane people? I am horrible at all things Christian, right? I just felt terrible. This is the basics. You should be able to do this. And I realized this is difficult. There is a strain to to leading people, to, to knowing the words of God, to speaking the words of God. It takes a lot of work to get better at it. And what I would tell you is this. Some of you need to enter into the press. You need to press yourself to grow deeper in your knowledge of God and your ability to speak for God. For some of you, it's in sharing your faith. For some of you, it's the discipline of your own sin. For some of you, it's, it's, it's serving others or learning more in the theology or actually reading the Bible through cover to cover. I don't know what your step is, but I'll say this. Everything worth doing is difficult. And the first thing you need to do is say, Lord, where am I needing to grow? I could prioritize a lot of things in this semester, in this year, but I'm going to prioritize this thing. I'm going to strain towards your goals, and I'm going to get better at at being a Christian, being an effective Christian in this time. But look at the source of which he says it. Look at verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained it, already become perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You see, he's not working for acceptance. He's working from acceptance. He says, Jesus has made me his own. So I'm going to work harder. I'm going to push further. I'm going to discipline my life because Christ has already made me his own. I'm already on the team. And from that safe place, I will work harder. See, the thing is, this press, the strain that we're calling us to is not to earn Jesus's forgiveness or salvation or, or glowing recommendations. It's you're loved, you're cared for. So work 
from a safe place, but not just work. He says, I want you to work with focus. I want you to work with focus. He says this in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider it that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal, toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I don't think I've already arrived, meaning I don't think I'm the perfect Christian. I don't think I have it all together, which is a big statement coming from Paul. Let's think about this. He wrote Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, several books of the Bible, right? And that guy's going like, I don't think I've arrived. I don't think I have it all together. But one thing I do, I keep on pressing. And you see this focus in his life. Success in the Christian life requires this, strain in the right direction. It means you remove the distractions from your life. This is gonna get really practical. It means you've gotta cut out certain things from your life. I was reading an article um, by a professor in 2009, uh, Clifford Nas, a professor at Stanford University, basically was upset that he wasn't a good multitasker. And so he thought some people had skills in multitasking that he didn't. And so he wanted, he was a psychologist, so he wanted to do this test to figure out, are some people just better at multitasking? And so they divided people into groups, and this is what's interesting. They divided their test subjects into two groups of high and low multitaskers and began with the presumption that the frequent multitaskers would perform better. They were wrong. He says, I was sure that they had some secret ability, says Naz. But it turns out that the high multitaskers are suckers for irrelevancy. They were outperformed on every measure. Isn't that interesting? These people that were self-defined as great multitaskers, that may be some of you in this room, like, no, I'm good at carrying everything at the same time. I'm a professional juggler. And what he found is like, when he actually tested them, when he actually looked at all these people that were doing all of these different things, when they tested their ability, he says, they were outperformed in you name it. I think for, for so many of us, we lived a very distracted life. We're like an octopus on roller skates, right? There's a lot of movement, just not in the right directions. And what Paul is saying is this, I want you to live a focused life. I want your life to be directed towards something that's gonna be impactful. And I'll tell you this, an undisciplined life will lead to one of two places. It will either lead to disaster or disappointment. It'll lead to either disaster or disappointment. I read an article this week about an FBI leader in the FBI who had a crazy night getting drunk. And the next morning he woke up and his badge and his gun and his $6,000 watch were gone. And I go, that stinks. And then I, I, then I thought about this man. I mean, he was a grown man. He was high up in the FBI. I'm like, I'm like, he was obviously very successful. Clearly, like, this is the ladder he wanted to climb. But he la- allowed distraction to come in, and it was devastating. He lost his job. He lost his gun. Like, I mean, like, these are important things, you know? And, and he literally lost them. For some of you, an undisciplined life will lead to disaster. For some of you, it'll just lead to disappointment. I can't tell you how many college students I've talked to, even recently, where I said, hey, what would you like to do with your life? And in a, in a very nice way, and I'm just going to poke a little bit in some balloons. 
So sorry if this like pokes your heart too much, but I'm just gonna poke at it. They said, I'm just waiting for God. You're like, isn't that a good Christian answer? Like, I'm just waiting for God. And I'm like, well, what are you working towards? The Lord lead the way. And I'm like, are you interviewing with companies that might give you money um, or, or anything? He's like, I just don't want to be tied down. I just want to let God. I'm going to let go and let God. And I'm like, you need to grab on and... And otherwise, you're going to be living at home with your parents, right? And um, I know you can have insurance until you're 25, but I'm just telling you, like, letting go and letting God is, is like trying to go skiing behind a, a boat without holding onto the rope, right? You've got you've to grip in on something if you want to be pulled in a direction. And I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, what Paul is calling us to is a very disciplined life. He says, I forget what lies behind, and I press on towards what's ahead. He uses the, another word for, pro, for press, and it's this word. It's scopos, where we get our word for scope. Some of you are hunters, right? So you sit in the blind, and you see that beautiful buck coming by. You see his antlers flaring, and you're like, come on, baby. Mm-hmm. And you sight him in, and you scope. You have a, a plan, right, for killing the buck and eating it later, right? Jerky and all sausage, all sorts of, and you have a plan, so you put it within your sights, you're quiet, you're like, shut your mouth and just go with him. Well, shoot him, I don't You know, and you're just, you're focused in until you take the shot. You, you hone in your sights, you focus your attention. And what Paul says is this, you can live in distraction, but you'll be disappointed. But if you focus in your life, if you pursue the one thing that matters most, that's what will move you forward. He says, I forget what lies behind, meaning I don't let weigh my past successes. Like I don't live in the past. You're like junior high football linebacker, right? You don't live in the past, right? But you press forward to what's ahead. You don't rest on your past successes. You continue to press forward. And it doesn't mean he doesn't celebrate those things in his past. It means that isn't the glory days. The glory days are up ahead. When Christ comes again, that's glory, right? Everything else was fun, but I'm moving forward in my life with a focused directive. I press on, and he says this, towards the upward call, toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is this prize? I'm wondering, like, what is, what is the prize? Well, one level of the prize is this. It's, it's knowing Jesus. One focus of his is I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. I, w- I want to be in deep relationship with Jesus. That is one part of the reward. But there are other ones. There are actually rewards for the Christian life for faithful living. If you strain towards the right things and you live a focused life, God says you will be rewarded for the life that you live. You don't believe me? Let's look a couple places. One, one is this. Luke 9 says this. It's the parable of the minas. The first, after he'd been given a number of, of, of minas, like a, a, a sum of money, says, Lord, your mina has made 10 more minas. I doubled up. He was given five. He went to 10. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. I don't know why minas turned into cities, but it happened. He gave him authority over 10 cities. Maybe that's millennial kingdom. We can talk about that at another point in time. He says this, and he said to him, and you are to be over, and to another person that came up, the second came up, I've 
doubled up your, to five minas, and he said, and you shall be over five cities. You were faithful with a small thing. I'm going to give you bigger things. You see this similar theme. Matthew 25 says it this way. The one who had received five talents, another parable, the parable of the talents, came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you've entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. He didn't specify cities, but he says, look, you were faithful with your life. I'm going to give you more. There's reward. What are some of these rewards? Paul says this in 2 Timothy 4.8. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. He says there's a crown of righteousness. There's a, there's a reward for faithful living, and it's not unique to Paul. This award is available to all who live a, a faithful life, who, who focus their life towards the things of God. Peter says it as well. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the unfading, unfading crown of glory. There is reward for faithful living. Okay, it does, but does Jesus say it again? Yes. Revelation 22, the end of the book. Behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. Now that's a terrifying moment, but you gotta read the whole context of of, of Revelation. He talks about the reward for unfaithful living in Revelation 20. But he talks about the reward for, faith, for unfaithful living, the reward for faithful living with, at the end of Revelation. If you live a faithful life, if you pursue the right things, God says, I will not forget it. You will receive reward in heaven. Now, what are we going to do with those rewards? Well, at one point in Revelation, it says that it's like we're giving crowns that we cast at the feet of Jesus. And so in many ways, the reward is to be well-armed at that moment. When we get to stand before God and say, I have dedicated my life toward you. You know another part of it? You know, you've never walked by a person that is a normal, transient person. Everyone you walk next to is eternal. They will spend either eternity with God or eternity separate from God. You have never walked by a mere mortal, as C.S. Lewis says. And you know the greatest crown that I'm excited about? I'll just share this, a reward. Isn't the crown that I get, that could be cool. It's the people that I get to be surrounded by. It's the men and women that I poured my life into. They get to stand before the throne meeting Jesus. That's why Paul says in another place, you're my crown, you're my glory. The people that I've poured my life into, that's the reward I'm looking for. So I don't know what reward kind of stokes your ego or what you think about, but I, I don't, it doesn't really matter. It says you get to know Jesus. You get to be a part of getting people to, to also know Jesus. And that reward will not be forgotten, but it will be given. That's why he says we don't work for a perishable wreath, but an imperishable wreath, a reward for a faithful life. So the last part I want to give you is this that not only do we need to strain in the right direction to live a focused life that will be rewarded, but number three, to have the right models around us. He says this in verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says, I want you to look at people that are living the kind of life you wanna live. 
I want you to look at people that are straining in the right direction and living a focused life. And I want you to model your life after them. And I'll tell you what, you all do this to someone. We all have models in our life that we devote our lives to. There's people that are successful around you. In fact, athletes do this to a T. One couple famous athletes in recent time is one LeBron James, as well as Michael Jordan. Here's what LeBron says. My name to come up in a discussion with the greatest basketball player of all time. It's like, it's like wow. You're seeing Michael Jordan, it's almost like a god. I think I fell in love with the game because of Mike. I wear the number because of Mike. I did pretty much everything that MJ did when I was a kid. I shot fadeaways before I should have. I wore a leg sleeve on my leg and folded it down so you saw the red part. I wore black and red shoes with white socks. I wore short shorts you, so you could see my undershorts underneath. I didn't go bald like Mike, but I'm getting there. <laughs> but it'd be post-career though. But other than that, I did everything Mike did. I even wore a wristband on my forearm. I did everything Mike did, man. I wanted to be Mike. So for my name to come up in any discussion with Michael Jordan, it's like, so it's just a wow factor. Boom, Michael Jordan. That's LeBron. That's his focus. That's who he wants to be like. What about you? Who's your Michael Jordan? Who's that person in front of you that says, at the end of the day, I really want to have a life like theirs. Here's the model that I want. Well, Paul says, look, imitate me, but not just me. There's lots of other people out there. There's other people with the same focus, with the same direction Like, Who are those models? And then he gives a warning. He says, consider who you're modeling carefully. He says, for many, verse 18, of whom I've often told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He says, I want you to consider deeply who you actually are modeling your life after. And I would say, look for people with exceptional Christian living, but look deep into their life to see what they actually value. And he gives you three criteria to to be wary of. He says, first, that their God is their belly, meaning their appetites are what drive them. They're driven by things that are about gaining personal benefits, personal glory. And it says that secondly, their glory is their shame. What they celebrate, it may actually be sinful things or it may be things that actually just won't last the test of time. It's the things that they're glorying, the things that they're building actually won't matter in the end. Their glory is their shame. And number three, here's the, the telltale. They set their minds on earthly things. They have a mindset right here. So who's your model? And what do they set their mind on? What are they focused on? Is it only on business? Is it only on moving the numbers? Is it only on success in their industry? And I'll tell you, that model is putting their God as their belly, their appetites. But Paul says, I want you to have a different mindset. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables us to subject all things to himself. He says, I want you to focus your eyes on models that have the right priorities, that live a focused, driven life, but are driven in the right directions. 
that are, have a focused, powerful life that are focused on the things that matter most. They are straining towards the right things. So who are those people for you? Ladies, I wanna give you one to think about. Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot met her husband while she was at Wheaton College. Young love, you can read about it in her book called The Gates of Splendor. And they were gonna be missionaries together, right? And so like this young college romance, they're gonna go bring the gospel to Guatemala. Like it is all this, you know, fairy tale Christian moment, you know, like you love Jesus, I love Jesus, let's go love Jesus together in the world, right? And so they, they come together, they're married. It's so exciting. It's this romance, it's so good. And they go to Ecuador and they meet the Akan Indians. And they're like, we're gonna bring the gospel here. It's gonna be so good. Some of you aren't laughing because you don't know, you know the story. Elizabeth Elliot, her husband, was killed by the Yakin Indians. One of the f- first martyrs that Wheaton College put out. It, it sunk like a bombshell on them. And then she went back. She flew back home to kind of recover and get some life together. And three years later, she went back to that same tribe. And she got relationships with them. She was given the nickname Woodpecker which is funny because you're like so persistent, right? Like she just kept on going with the gospel to these people. But as they saw the consistency of this woman's life who had lost the man she loved, but continued to pour herself out to them, lives were changed. Men, I would give you a man like Adoniram Judson, a missionary who went to Burma to bring the gospel to that tough place. Or I'd give you a Donnerham Judson or David Livingston or my personal favorite, George Whitfield. He spoke and was one of the, the, the lightning rod for the great awakening that hit America in the late 1700s. Go read these biographies, these men and women of faith who have done great things for the cause of Christ. Look at their lives and say, that's the life I want to live. And maybe it's not them. Maybe it's more modern, like Jen Wilkin or Tim Keller or Beth Moore, that you look at their life and say, that's the focused driven life that I would like towards the right things. But maybe you don't even have to go that far. Maybe you don't have to go all the way to the past or famous people on stages in the present. Maybe there's some people sitting around your table right now. Maybe. There's some men and women who love the Lord right here. And maybe you could never see yourself as that person. That's fine. Paul says, join in imitating me. Well, Paul, you're unobtainable. That's unrealistic. (laughs) Or others that have lived a faithful life. One of the things I love about being in this place, in this environment, is you've got men and women that are a couple sets ahead of you that love the Lord deeply, that are living full out for the Lord, that are focused in the right way, that are straining towards the right things. Maybe those men and women are your model to get some coffee with, to pursue, to babysit their babies, right? To, to learn from them. That's what I did in college. There were some men that were above me that were working men. And so I made it my ambition to get around them, to learn from them that I could grow and be the kind of men they were. One of them was Derek Baker college director back in the day. Little did I know I'd be doing the same thing several years later. You never know, but I'll tell you this, the Christian life is one of focus, 
of strain and look beside you to see men and women right beside you that are living that kind of life. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for the reality, the truth that the Christian life isn't easy. There is a strain that you call us to. There's a press to, to live full out for the gospel. And Lord, I know some of us need to learn. We need to learn from, from the right authors, learn from the right people. And so Lord, I pray that some of us would press into that, that we would grow to be sharpened tools to be used by you. For others of us, we've, we've filled our days and our weeks and our months with so many distractions that we don't even have time to focus in on you. So Lord, I pray that you would show us how to better prioritize next semester, how to put the right things in place. And Lord, I pray that as we, as we consider who we might model our lives after, we would pick the right model. We'd pick men and women that know you, that love you, that we could live our lives like. And I'm so thankful that we don't have to make this up as we go. We have men and women right around us that are chasing hard after you that we can learn from. Lord, I pray for our tables discussions. Help us to dig deep into these ideas and make some changes. So in your name we pray, amen. You guys turn to your tables, have some good discussion.